0: The following audio is from Life Point Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about Life Point Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, hey, good morning, guys. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open those up to. Uh, The book of Galatians, we're going to be in chapter uh, 2 of that book. We've been going through uh, the book of Galatians for, this is our fifth week now, and you can get all those previous messages online if you wanted to go back and listen to those. But uh, today we're going to just simply uh, move forward in a text that we touched upon last week, but we're going to get a little bit more deeper. While you're turning uh, to uh, Galatians, I just want you to imagine uh, a moment for me. I want you to go back in your mind, and I want you to imagine the original Eden. I want you to imagine what it was like when God created all that there was, and and he created it good over and over again. When God would create something, he would look at it, and he would say, that is good. Over and over again, he created the stars and the moon and the sun and the land and the trees and the birds. I want you to imagine what that goodness would be like. Imagine the animals there roaming peacefully, freely, Imagine the the flowers blooming and the sweet fragrances and the vibrant colors. Imagine the trees that would cover the ground, filled with birds, singing songs to God. Imagine ripe fruits for feasting and eating. Each day was full of sunrise and sunset. It was a place of peace, a place of great joy. Then... What happened in a single moment, in one moment, the scene all changes. Because what happened was the man and the woman, they they began to take from the fruit that was forbidden. They began to disobey God. They actually went uh, opposite of what God had told them to do. They they rebelled. They chose the fruit over God, and, and their eyes for the first time were opened. Their eyes, for the first time, begin to see what rebellion does. Their bones begin to shake, and they begin to feel shame. They begin to feel humiliation and, and maybe, a, maybe a panic. You ever felt panic? They feel panic because originally when God said, if you eat of this forbidden fruit, then, then your eyes are going to be opened, and in the end, you're surely going to die. And so they disobeyed the God who made them, and they probably thought for the very first moment, we are going to die. Galatians chapter, I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 3, it says, as they heard a sound, a sound of the Lord Walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. They hid among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to man and said, where are you? Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden. And I was afraid. You see, Adam, when he comes to God... He comes out of the trees, and he comes out of his hiding, and he says, I was afraid. I was afraid. He says, I hid of you because I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. I was covered in shame. I was covered in humiliation, and I was afraid. And so just like that. Fear, it it entered into the world. It entered into the hearts of mankind. Fear compelled Adam and Eve to hide. And listen, we've been hiding ever since, haven't we? We've been hiding from God. We've been hiding from each other. We've been hiding from ourselves, really. We hide behind fig leaves of insecurity. We hide behind caves of caution, self-made disbelief, we're afraid, we're terrified, we're terrified that someone actually might see right through us, that someone might see exactly who we are, dirty, maybe we feel insecure, maybe we feel weak, and fear goes off inside our, our souls it goes off in our souls like, like fireworks go off in a dark sky. The boom, it shakes us to our core and we're afraid. And we want everything, do everything to avoid, avoid that feeling at all costs. So we bury our pain. We try to protect ourselves. We... We cover our blemishes, we gloss over our insecurities, we avoid shame, we, we play it safe. We get close, but not too close. We, we build walls around us to protect us from ever feeling afraid. But hear me, because no matter what we do on our own, no matter what walls you build or things you put in place, no matter what you do, we cannot escape our fears we can't escape it you see we need rescue from them we need a savior at the core our fear shouts to us you need a savior you need a rescue whether it's fear of failure or fear of rejection or fear of death or fear of the dark Fear sends signals to our souls. Fear whispers to the darkest areas, our deepest brokenness. Fear, it cries out for security. It cries out for refuge, something. Maybe someone would come and take this away. Fear, it readies our hearts to receive the gospel, the good news. It's good news because you and I we have a nature that run and hide from God. We have a nature that, that actually, actually gets away from God rather than runs to him. And, and up to this point in the book of Galatians, Paul has been trying to bring us back to the true gospel. The true gospel that God the Father loves us with an unending, unfailing, unconditional love that he sends his son Jesus To live the righteousness life that we could never live. And he dies an unrighteous death that we all deserve to die. And he raises to life on the third day. Showing that we don't have to be afraid of death because he's conquered death. We don't have to be afraid of God because he's made us right before God. We don't have to live in fear. We can live in freedom. And he shows his victory over the grave. And through faith in him, you and I, we can be born again into his righteousness by his grace through his spirit and that is the greatest news the world has ever known and that's the news that's coming through galatians so now we no longer fear god we no longer fear death death is dead death is no more there is no more death for those in christ jesus only life only resurrection and so through jesus we are seen as holy and spotless and hear me A new creation. From the beginning of the book of Galatians, Paul's been trying to help these people understand what the true gospel is. He's he's had to combat arguments about what the true gospel is. He begins to to confront ideas of others who are trying to add to the finished work of Christ. They're saying, okay, uh, yes, Jesus, but you need to perform in a certain way yes jesus but you need to become jewish yes jesus but you need to be circumcised yes jesus but you need to keep the law yes jesus but you need to eat these foods and not eat these foods yes jesus but you need to do this and don't do this and only then will god be pleased listen does that not cast more fear in us trying to ask the question is this enough is this enough? Is this enough? How about this? Is this enough? And you're always living your life, always wondering, can I measure up? Have I measured up? Is God somehow pleased? And so what happens is these people in this book, and even today, they take the gospel message that Jesus saves us through faith alone and twist it into legalism that says your performance is what makes you right and Paul very early on in this book he says he says that's not the gospel at all. We're justified by God through faith alone in Christ alone. Nothing to earn, nothing we've done. We are made right before God through the blood of Jesus. And everyone says amen. But but hear me because it's so easy to get that confused. And we say okay, If I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that means I can just simply do whatever I want to do. And my actions and my life and my my response to things, it doesn't really matter. I can just simply live how I want to live. It doesn't matter what I do. Because Jesus actually becomes my get out of hell free card. And I'm not afraid I can just... Live, But the problem is Jesus and Paul in today's scripture is going to squash that idea as well. Look in Galatians 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. I know we read some of these verses last week, but it kind of builds. And I want to point out to you the good news of the gospel today for you. It says, but when Cephas, that's, that's Peter. So Peter is someone who actually walked with Jesus. Peter was one of the 12. Peter was actually really, really close to Jesus. He's one of the, the higher three. there was Peter, James and John. that was kind of Jesus's inner core. And so Peter was one of the inner inners with Jesus. But when Peter or Cephas came to Antioch, Paul, he says, "I opposed him to his face," because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now let me paint the picture and catch you up and let you know what's going on here. What happens is in Christ, through the unity in Christ, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's just one body of Christ. So there is unity in this body, and even so much so that you can eat or sit at the table with someone who's different than you, different background than you, and be one in Christ. And so what happens is Peter was arguing for unity in Christ. Peter was actually standing up for this true gospel. The blood of Jesus makes us right before God, and we all have a seat at the table. But what happens is when these religious men from James show up, He actually says, oh, I'm going to actually not sit with you anymore. I'm actually going to separate myself from you because I'm Jewish and you're not Jewish. And because I come from a Jewish background, I'm actually a little more righteous than you. And I don't want to be seen at an unrighteous table with the unrighteous. And so what happens is he separates himself from these people. And so Paul has to come and address it. Now look in verse 14. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now up to this point, hear me, the gospel has been very, very clear. The truth of the gospel is that you are not made right before God because you do this or do this. You are not made right before God because you don't do these things or do these things. You're not made right before God because of some behavior. Are you following me with that? So you're not made right before God because you go to church or you grew up in some denomination or you got wet or someone said that here's your certificate. It's none of those things. Not our behavior, but in Christ alone. But Paul says, you're not made right because of your behavior. But then he comes right back and says, your behavior is out of step with the gospel. So it appears in the scriptures that we're not saved by works, but only through faith. Yet, there is a way to walk and a way not to walk. You with me on that? He says, there is a way to live. If you believe the gospel, there is a way to walk in step, in rhythm with the gospel. And he says, you're out of it. Paul is saying, if you truly believe the gospel of grace, there is a rhythm by which you should live your life. See, before, I was marching to my own drum. I was doing what I wanted. I was living my life. I was making my own decisions. I was actually the leader and the Lord of everything in my life. But when I gave my life to Christ, all of a sudden I start marching to his drum, I start walking to his beat, and I start living for him. That's what what happens. Now, if you're saying, uh, okay, I believe the gospel, there is a conduct that follows. Paul implies that there is a conduct or behaviors that are out of step with the gospel, there is a behavior, there is a conduct that is in step of the gospel. So, so hear me. There are some beliefs that contradict the gospel. And at the same time, there are actions that contradict the gospel. We need to be aware of both. You may be saying, okay, Eric, uh, you're saying that if I'm saved by grace, by no works of my own, my behavior does not save me Then why do my actions even matter? Why does my behavior, what difference does it make what I do or what I don't do? If I'm saved through the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus in my place for me, then what does it matter what I do? Let me me explain it to you this way. Before Christ, there is a veil that lies over our face, over our hearts. That's 2 Corinthians 4. It says that we can't see clearly the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And so there is a veil that remains even today over the hearts, over the eyes, over the lives of those who don't believe. But there is a moment where God removes that veil over our eyes and he opens up our hearts spiritually and somehow implements his light. And we get to see the goodness of Christ in the gospel. And it leads us to a place that says, I'm yours. I give my life to you, you, you take me and you, you live in me. And so there is, a, there, is a, there is a transformation that happens when you are unveiled to the gospel. When the gospel is unveiled and the eyes of our hearts are open and we trust Jesus Christ as savior, at that point, hear me, the commands of God and the law of God make a shift. And the law of God shifts from a mirror that reflects my sin, but now becomes a light unto my path. So when we, when we come to faith in Jesus, all of a sudden, the commands of God no longer show me that I don't measure up. They actually say, this way to life. And so before Christ... Before my heart was awakened to Jesus, I looked at the law, and it said, no other gods before me. Oh, I do that all the time. I'm actually above you, God. I make my own choices. I do my own thing. We say, don't lie. Oh, man, I'm a liar. Don't covet. Don't want what other people have. That's me guilty. Guilty. Right? Don't have any other lovers. Oh, guilty. Okay, and so what I do is before Christ, I look at the law, and I look back at the law like a mirror's reflecting back at me, and I see myself as guilty. I'm guilty before the law, and I realize I don't measure up. And in that moment, I realize that I need a Savior, that I can't just somehow fix my behavior. But now, in Christ, when I've received Jesus Christ in my place, God sees me as faultless, blameless without spot without blemish and so now when I look in the mirror of the law God sees Christ instead of me that's a beautiful picture of righteousness and so what happens is in Christ now the law becomes a path not a diagnostic It becomes a path into joy of my life. Before Christ, you see, the law was a diagnostic, and it showed me that I had a disease. And then Christ comes, he heals that disease, and in my healing, God's way becomes an invitation to the fullness of life. For the display of his glory, which means I don't follow God's word in order to earn new life. I follow God's word because I've been given new life and I trust his word to lead me into that fullness of life. Do you see the difference? I see his word and its word now becomes, because I'm in Christ, his word becomes an invitation to say, hey, fullness of life this way fullness of life this way walk away from that come to this it doesn't save me it brings me the fullness that God has for me and when I truly believe and I truly receive the gospel of grace the law becomes a delight that's why we can read the psalmist and he says your word is like honey on my lips you ever thought that way because he's tested he's seen he knows that god's law god's commands god's way leads him into the fullness of joy it doesn't save him it actually because he's saved he says i see your law is good so when the law says do this and don't do this i don't i don't stand condemned listen you don't stand condemned in christ you don't start thinking, oh, man, all these rules. I'm a Christian now. Now i got to obey all these things. Wah, wah, wah. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Now that you're a Christian, now that you're a believer, God is saying, hey, come this way. Walk away from that. That's, that's going to rob you of the fullness of life. I want you to be in the fullness of life. I want you to be in my joy. And so, and so we got to get this reality. Paul is not saying to Peter here when he confronts him, you better do this or else. And God is not saying to you, hey, you better do this or else. God is not after our begrudging submission. He's after our joy. He's inviting each one of us into the fullness of the true gospel through Christ. God is not in heaven saying, you know what's gonna bring me joy? You being miserable. You know what's going to be a light into the world? You know what's going to be glorious for all mankind to see? You being pressed down and crushed by rules. Oh, I got to go to church because if I don't go to church, he's going to get me. That's not light into the world. God's not saying, hey, you know what's going to bring me the most glory? You living in fear of always measuring up. You living in fear, always thinking that there's something else that you need to do in order for me to be pleased. That's going to bring me the most. That's not what he does. God saves us completely in Christ, so there is no measuring up. And he opens my eyes to say, that's the way to joy. God's way, God's law really sets me free. And so when I am in step with the gospel, I walk in his ways. Now, there is a way out of the gospel. Look in verse 14 again. It says, But when I saw that their conduct, their behavior, was not in step with the truth of the gospel... I confronted Peter before them all. When you finally hear and believe the drumbeat of the gospel, the rhythm of your life begins to change and shift and it doesn't lead us to a license of sin if we truly believe it. So now, if it is the fullness of life, when I think of my marriage, when God says, hey, I want you to love your wife this way, I want you to lead your wife this way, It's because that's the path to fullness in Christ. He says, I want you to love. I want you to lead your children this way. I don't see it as, oh, God. I guess I'll do it because you tell me to, God. I don't really like my children. I guess I'll just not do that. When I hear the commands of God, with my time, my treasures, my talents, my, my resources, everything that God has given me. Hey, God says, hey, I want you to live this way. I want you to walk this way when it comes to your time. I want you to walk this way when it comes to your treasures and everything that i give you. And I want you to walk this way when it comes to your talents. You should use it for building up and not tearing down. You should use it to forgive. When God tells you to, 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 to give away, when God tells you not to hold begrudgingly against someone else, when he says, I want you to be set free, it's not. Not, oh, I better do this or else. He's trying to set me free into his way. So I want to close today not with just simply telling you all the things that you should and should not do. I'm not going to sit here and tell you a list. Okay, now, uh, guys, this is all the things that are in step with the gospel, and these are all the things out of step. These are the things that you should do, and these are the things that you should avoid. But what I want to bring to your hearts today is one major thing that leads us to stepping away or walking out of rhythm of the gospel. And it's found in verse 12 and 13. He says, before these certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, which was great. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews, they went with him. They acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray. Peter is feeling the weight to be accepted by everyone. Have you ever felt that weight? Have you ever felt the weight of trying to please people? See, Peter feels the weight of being accepted, and because of that weight, he begins to play the hypocrite. He was pretending that he's something he's not to earn the approval of those he even disagrees with. He's trying to earn some status before men. I don't know if you've ever found yourself pretending. I don't know if you've ever found yourself trying to pretend you're something you're not. I don't know if you've ever tried to please people, but, but hear me, as a people pleaser, it's a bit exhausting. Amen? It's exhausting. Now, now let me just ask you this question. What is the weight that causes Peter to walk out of rhythm? What is the weight that is the root of his hypocrisy? What is the thing, the one thing, that leads Peter and even others astray? Because, listen, it is the same thing that will lead every one of us to walk out of step of the gospel. The one thing it's fear. He's afraid. Fear. Fear is out of step with the gospel. Fear leads to hypocrisy. And fear will lead you and others into a conduct that is not in step With the gospel. He's afraid. He's afraid of what this guy might say about him. He's afraid that there might be murmuring over here. He's afraid. Because he's not standing in the gospel. Let me tell you something, church. Don't let anyone or anything. Don't let fear drive you into a pattern of performance. I talk to so many Tell me about your relationship with God. Tell me about the day that you were unveiled to the gospel. And you know what I hear over and over and over again? I was at this thing. It was at a church, right? They did this really dark, scary night. And all of a sudden, people asked me, who doesn't want to go to hell? And I responded, I don't want to go to hell. And so you responded out of fear. No love for Christ. No understanding of grace. No understanding of the gospel. Just simply compelled by fear. I don't want to end up like that. I guess I better do something. Listen, why would we as Christians be led by fear? Fear is not of the gospel. Fear is not of God. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of power and love, of self-control. The gospel does not produce fear in us. I mean, if he is for us, who can be against us? He who did not give his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not along with him graciously give us all things? Who is to bring a charge against God elect? Who is to justify Christ? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised and he sits at the right hand of God and now he's here for you, interceding for you. What else would we fear? What else would we be afraid of? What can man do to me if you came in this morning? And you have this weight of of tenseness, a weight of depression and fear. And you've walked in and you have this feeling of anxiety or something's going to go wrong. Or if it's not going wrong now, it's about to go wrong. And you're just simply living your life in fear. Your primary goal this morning is to see the gospel clearly. He loves you. And he calls you out of fear. You need to stop And reflect, maybe for the first time, and ponder and dwell upon the fact what it means that God gave His Son for you. 1 John, it says that perfect love casts out fear. What a powerful verse I'm reminded of all the time. You see, perfect love, it casts out fear. Fear, it has to do with punishment. Like you're not measuring up. Fear has to do with punishment, but perfect love, it casts out fear. When you know in the depths of your soul that you are loved perfectly in Christ, you will only then be truly free. When you're perfectly loved in Christ. A life that sees and believes the gospel is a life that says, Hebrews 13, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? A life that is truly rooted in step, in rhythm, with the gospel is not one that's compelled by fear. It's one that says, you know what? The Lord is my helper. I don't help myself. He helps me. He's the giver of all things. I'm not the giver of anything. I don't produce anything. I can't actually make anything happen. I can't bring the dead to life. I can't walk in this way. I can't do this. I need help. The Lord is my helper. Who's my helper? The Lord is. The Lord is my helper. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to walk like it all depends on me. Like all the weight is on my shoulders. It all comes back to the gospel. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God knows that you and I will have temporary lapses with fear. Just like Peter. God knows that we will fall in and out of this. All the time, but God is gracious with his children. And since our gospel is true, listen to me, you don't have to fear anymore. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything, any situation, any circumstance, any loss of job, any loss of home, any loss of a loved one, any loss of sickness or health. You don't have to be afraid. Because perfect love casts out fear, and when we walk in fear, we're not walking in the gospel. God knows we'll have temporary lapses, but if you believe in your heart the truth of the gospel, then hear me, no matter what befalls your life, you can be confident that you are not under wrath, you are under mercy. You need to get that. If there's one truth that I want to teach you every single time we're together, Is that Jesus Christ took all of the wrath that is due to me. The cup is completely emptied of God's wrath toward me. So that means anything that befalls my life. Anything that comes into my life. Whether good or bad is the mercies of God. And he's leading me and he's showing me and he's wooing me. And he's leading me to a point where I can trust him more and more every single day. So you're not being punished if you're in Christ. That's the good news. You're not under wrath, but you're under mercy. When we're standing in the gospel of truth, we no longer need to fear because we're set free. In our pursuit to live the fullness of life in Christ, the most important question that you can ask yourself is, do my actions or do my reactions contradict the truth? of the gospel. Let me ask you. Is your life in step with the truth of the gospel? Do you live like you say you believe? Does your life reflect the gospel or does your life reflect fear? Do the decisions you make and the things that you do do they reflect fear or do they reflect the fact that you are a child of God? You have a savior who has and is pursuing you hear me it's not by accident you're here today it's not by accident you walked into this place it's not by accident it just so happens that God wants a relationship with you that he's pursuing you that he's wooing you you have a savior that wants to present you faultless and blameless before him so listen if Christ died and was raised we no longer have to fear God you don't have to feel like you have to measure up You don't have to perform. God does it through Christ so we can run to him and no longer fear. The gospel is the answer to all of your insecurities. The gospel is the answer and the cure for your anxiety. The gospel is the answer and the cure for all of your life-draining fear. Today, I plead with you, let go of fear and stand in the fear-destroying grace of Jesus stand in his grace make it your aim to magnify the grace of God and live in the freedom walking in the truth of the gospel we're going to start our time of responses so uh, i'm going to just invite the band to come back up and i just want to talk to you on a on a personal level some of you some of you are being held captive you're held captive by thinking that you know what's best for you you're held captive by by thinking that that your way is higher than God's way, that that you know what's going to bring you the most joy, that you know what's going to bring you the most life, that you know what's going to make you happy. You are held captive, really, by fear. And you're afraid. Because you believe deep down, if you give your life to Christ, you'll lose control. You believe that if you give your life to Christ, you're going to lose control. Now, Now, listen to me. Because that is absolutely true. If you give your life to Christ, if you completely surrender your life to Christ, you are relinquishing control. You are giving over control. But let me tell you how comforting it is to know that God's in control. How beautiful is it to know that God is in control of your life? Because I look at my 40 years, I look at my past. If I was in control, let me tell you, I would screw it up every day. Anybody else? Like, I would, I would make a mess of this thing. But knowing that God is in control, how sweet is the invitation for you today that there is more freedom with Christ than without him. There's more freedom. In Jesus, because Jesus came to set the captive free. Others of you, you've put your confidence in religious activities. That's the best way I know how to say it. You've put your confidence in the fact that you grew up in this thing, or you put your confidence in that, that you were confirmed as a child, or, or, or some other religious activity, church activity. I don't know what it is. Maybe you've put your confidence in the the fact that you think you're a good boy or you're better than this guy. And and you, you, you have done all of these things, but in reality, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. In reality, you do what you think the Lord tells you to do so that somehow down the road you can avoid confrontation with him. And you're trying, and you're living, and you're trying to earn something that is freely given. You're trying to earn your own righteousness for your own glory. You're trying to earn something that's already been given. And, and today, I want to invite you. Hear me. I want to invite you into real righteousness. Real holiness. Real relationship with the one who was perfect in every way, who died in your place so that you could be seen as righteous, a real righteousness that goes beyond yourself. Now, there's others of you who I think the majority of us are here. I think there's others of you who have trusted Jesus in your place. You say, yes, I believe by faith Jesus paid the price for me. And you see God, and he sees you spotless and blameless in Christ. And and the thing I, I like to point out to you in this text is that it appears that Peter repents. He turns his way. So maybe you're here and you say, you know what, Eric? Yeah, I've given my life to Christ. Yes, I believe that it's only through the blood of Jesus that I am spotless or blameless. But for whatever reason, you're digging your heels in and you're grabbing the tug-of-war rope and you are pulling with all your might against God and you're saying, no, I'm not going that way. For whatever reason... For whatever reason, you're saying, no, I don't want to go that way. I want to still do my own thing. So maybe you're digging your heels in when it comes to your marriage or your spouse. Maybe you're digging your heels in when it comes to your money. Maybe you're digging your heels into confessing some unrepented sin in your life. And you're saying, no, I'm not going to do it, God. Maybe you're digging your heels and when God is saying, hey, I want you to forgive them. I want you to show grace to them. And you're saying, no, I'm going this way. And listen, I'm not saying you're not saved. But for whatever reason, you are fighting against your own fullness of life. You're fighting against your own joy because you're not walking in step with the gospel. You're not walking in step. In the way that God woos you and invites you to walk. Because honestly, you're afraid. You're afraid. You're afraid to forgive. You're afraid to surrender all. You're afraid to trust. You're afraid to let go to bitterness. And honestly, you're afraid to obey. Trust him. He loves you. For whatever reason, maybe you're here and you're digging your heels in, and today God is wooing you into a greater joy. And for whatever reason, you're refusing to go. Let me tell you something. Look right at me. If that's you, you're out of step with the gospel. And sometimes we need Pauls to come into our life and say, walk away from that. Stop doing that. Walk in my grace and the freedom. For whatever reason, you're just not believing the gospel enough. You're not letting love compel you. You're letting fear compel you. And today, may the Holy Spirit, in his mercy, invite you back to the only hope that we have, and it's Christ and him crucified. Let's pray for that. Lord, today... It seems like in our world, fear surrounds us. Lord, there's days that I feel like fear is so deep. Rooted within me, that I feel shackled in shame and humiliation and lack of obedience. I don't know, but God, today I pray that through your Spirit and by your blood, we can cast our fear and our anxiety and our hurts and our pains and cast them all upon you, Lord. That we come to you by grace humbly and say, God. Take my life, take my fear, let my choices and my walk be in rhythm with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to empower me to walk away from sin and walk in your truth. Today, oh Lord, let us be a church that stands in the gospel, that walks in a rhythm with your gospel, with your truth that you love us and you gave yourself up for us. Today, God, we're asking you to lead us by your word, by your law, by your commands into the fullness of life. And we would see that they are glorious, that they are beautiful. Jesus, let us respond with praise. Okay.